Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Expanding Our Footprint, Part 1. Join us in John, Chapter 6, Verses 1-21. through 21. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Today, I want you to take your Bible out and turn to John chapter 6. Make sure you got your Bible with you. I'm telling you, I'm going to be relentless. You need to have your Bible. I'll put it on the screen, okay? Just don't be rebellious. Bring your Bible and mark up your Bible and turn there anyway. If you've got it, I'll put it up there. And uh, if you're taking notes... Um, I put the points together, I think, pretty logical, so you'll, you can follow things that way if you like to take notes. I know lots of people do. So um, I don't know about you, but um, what is on your list of impossibilities? Because I can only, I have a list of what are, what, a list of impossibilities. In other words, these are the things that I'm going, you know what? This is never going to happen. This is impossible, right? Everybody's got a list of things. Um, and I know you have one. I don't even sit out to make it. You know, I, I wouldn't even say I'm trying to keep a list, but I just have one, just like you do. You have a list of things where you're certain that it's going to just, you know, not happen. And... <laughs> Don't, I actually kind of like that. He, he wanted to stay in church. <laughs> I'm so, I'm way more fine with that than you think. Okay, I love, I like people trying to, trying to keep their, make their kids sit in church. I just don't know what happened to those days where, you know, your kids can't sit in church, but I think that it takes work. And I'm fine with it. And we're not going to lock the doors and say they can't come in. Okay? I'm fine with them being over there too, by the way. So, you know, they need to be over there too. Um, All right. What's impossible? Maybe you got a list of things, you know, maybe something in your marriage. And you're like, no, this is is impossible. It's never going to change. Marriage. Or uh, you got a job or something with a job. And there's an impossibility, you're just, you're, you're certain, mm-mm, no way, you have no idea, right? Your finances, no way, this is insurmountable, I have, I, there's, nothing's going to change this, nothing can make this uh, happen, something with your kids, something just with friends, something, I don't know, there's, um, there's, there's all kinds of things that we make a list regarding impossibilities, and Today, um, I just want us to see Jesus perform an impressive, seemingly impossible feat. And this is a great story. And a lot of times we, we sort of relegate this to a children's story, but it is anything but a children's story. I'm gonna, I've taught through this before, and you may be really familiar with this, but I promise you I can draw some things out of the text today. Maybe you haven't considered. That's how alive God's word is. Mark or excuse me, John chapter 6. Let's just start in verse 1. So 
After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. So Jesus went um, up on the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Jewish feast of the Passover was near. And then Jesus, when he looked up and he saw that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? And by the way, when you see the parentheses like that in the Bible verse, it's kind of like saying that this is a little commentary. It's not necessarily the, what Jesus said, but it's commentary about what's going on. So this commentary says, now Jesus said, to this, said this to test him, for he knew what, was going, what he was going to do. So that's a little commentary about what's happening and what's going to happen, right? Verse 7, Philip replied, 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough for them, for each one to get a little. In verse 8, one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was a lot of grass in that place. <laughs> so this is a good place to sit down, I guess. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated. And then he said to them, with, uh, uh, did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over by uh, the people who had eaten. Now, when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, this is, is certainly the prophet who is coming to the world. And then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up the mountainside. Now, you can keep on reading. There's um, at least four or five more verses there that kind of conclude the story, but I'm going to stop just right there because if Jesus can do that with just a few fish and some bread, some loaves of bread, barley, uh, bread, imagine what he can do with your life and your impossibilities. I mean, that's kind of the point. It's not rocket science. It's not a secret. That's really where I'm headed with the message. That's the red dot in the middle of the target. I think what seems to be impossible for us as a church sometimes you know, it's, we, we, we stumble around. I think it's really difficult. It's even difficult for me. It makes pastors kind of afraid to ask, to tell the truth to all kinds of things because things seem impossible so many times. It's really hard to get a, a household of faith, a family of families. It's hard to get your own family on the same page in, in unity. It's really difficult to get a church in unity because everybody's got this thing going on. We got our own list of things that are impossible, all right? Now, uh, my first point is, I'm just calling it a question of perspective because everybody's got a different perspective as well, right? That's why I hate it when someone says, don't sweat the small stuff. Like, if you're going to say that to me, you're, you're risking a lot, like maybe a, a punch right in the chops, right? <laughs> don't tell me not to sweat the small stuff. Because what you're saying is, what I think is small 
or, or what, what I think is important is small to you, right? And so what's small to you might not be, you know, small to me, but just, I just don't think you should say stuff like that. It's a matter of perspective. Details are important to me. I think details make everything work. I think if you're not paying attention to the details, you're kind of blowing it. I also like the big picture. I like to think out front. Okay? So here's the thing. The whole issue of impossibility is just actually one of perspective. To a child, many things seem impossible, like long division. You know? Long division was kind of difficult for me at first. And I didn't quite get it. You know, but from a, an adult vantage point, long division is not that, that hard. Let me show you how to do that, right? And those things can be handled relatively easy, but, you know, that's where you got to start with a child is long division. And it's like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it, right? So let's keep moving because it, uh, I want to give you a, a biblical example here because there's 15 verses in John. And the seemingly immovable um, object of human impossibility meets the irresistible force of divine power. That's what you see right here. Now, I realize that Jesus is um, God, and he can do anything, and he, you know, like miracle of nothing for him. But I still believe that there's a lot of lessons right here, and Jesus is a man, fully man, fully God here at the same time. So there's a, let's just start with a setting. Look at the first four verses. Look for yourself. The first four verses, after this, Jesus went away on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. So I guess if you're a local, that's what you call it. And you're like, hey, what's the Sea of Galilee? So, you know, we want to make sure people understand that. I think that's great commentary. A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. So Jesus has gathered a crowd and it's kind of steaming up on purpose There's purpose in everything Jesus does. So he goes up on the mountainside. He sits down there with his disciples. Now, uh, the Jewish feast of the Passover was near. So there's a lot of folks there for this reason, okay? Thousands of people have gathered gathered in the area to celebrate Passover. So after preaching to them all day, Jesus and the disciples, they're pooped. They need some rest. I get it. They just need a nap. Need to get away. You know, if you can't find me, I'm in the kitchen on Sunday. There's only, I, there's the only place I can find that nobody knows that I'm in there. Now you know. But sometimes I just need to get away. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I'm totally a people person. But after a while, you're just like, <sighs> right? Okay, now pay attention. Watch what happens here because... The crowds press in. They're hoping to rub shoulders with Jesus, and their needs take priority over the planned break. That's what's going to happen. There's an opportunity here is uh, really the next point because great opportunities are often disguised as unsolvable problems. I'd say almost every time great opportunities um, are in this issue somewhere, but the issue just overcomes us a lot of times. So here's the thing. The disciples, they try to get away, but the crowd is curious. They're seeking, and, and the crowd takes precedence. Watch 
as a, a humanly unsolvable problem becomes an awesome opportunity for Jesus to, to teach uh, when seen from a, a divine viewpoint and, and to learn some things. Number one, from a human perspective. Let's look at this perspective. So with their limited human understanding, these tired fishermen guys, right? They can only see the swelling sea of humanity uh, threatening to wash over them and to overtake them. In verse 10, we're told that this great crowd numbered 5,000 men. That's just the men, right? So there's got to be probably around 5,000 women and a bunch of children. We know there's tons of children, right? And so there could have been, you know, between eight and 15,000 people there. That's a lot of people. From the divine perspective, from the God perspective, Jesus' point of view, the crowds weren't, they weren't an an infringement, but they're an opportunity. A chance to reveal his glory at the same time, stretch his guys, his disciples. So he begins with a test for a guy named Philip. And I like the guy, Philip. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Now listen, Jesus is not being sarcastic. He's being very rabbi-like, rabbinic. All right? He's going to do something here. His intent is not to humiliate or demean or anything like that. I'm saying that on purpose here because Philip... He's not doing this to Philip. He's not doing anything to him. It's easy to get thinking like that. He wants to stretch Philip's faith muscles, so to speak. That's what he wants to do. He wants to help him grow. He wants to make him stronger. That's his intent. He's not trying to humiliate him. There's a strategy for stretching faith here. And so Philip's test is explained by the words, look at verse 6, the second half, 6b, for he knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do, Jesus did. Clearly, this indicates that Jesus is not only in control of the immediate circumstances, but he is several steps ahead of everything. Now, listen, God is like that. You got to know that he's like that in everything that he does, okay? Have you ever played chess before? I'm not a big fan of chess. I don't know. I've played it. I understand the game of chess. You know, they make movies out of the game of chess. And obviously, you got to be pretty smart to be a chess player, but there's some principles about chess. And the basic, the, 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 the most fundamental basic principle about chess is that you need to think several moves ahead if you're going to play chess. You can't just think about this one move. You have to think several moves ahead. So Jesus, he has a strategy to build the faith of his disciples. And he's playing a little bit of chess here because a chess player might give up a minor piece as a gambit if you know about the game in order to later gain an advantage. And so Jesus, the king, he's willing to give up a little bit of rest for his guys in order to gain more, uh, a more committed band of brothers, so to speak. He's going to do some things with them. 
I think he does things like that with me all the time, and I think he does things that with you, and I think he does it with the church. When you realize that your circumstances, no matter how overwhelming or how pressing, are ruled by a king who seeks your highest good, then you can, you can trust him. And you can be confident that, and know that he's doing something, okay? He's doing something. James chapter 1, I think these are familiar verses, but I still think you should turn there. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. James chapter 1, James says, Consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. <laughs> Man, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know that, right? And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you'll be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. Don't you just hate it when somebody's right? that. He's totally right, isn't he? Such a practical tool that he pulls right out of this toolbox. Consider it nothing but pure joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. Um, I say it often. You just replace that word joy with the word satisfaction, and it works. It's the same thing. Consider it nothing but satisfaction when you fall into all sorts of trials. <laughs> so is that how you view your circumstances? You know, that crowded thing going on and bringing you an unexpected pressure, right? Maybe you need to consider your circumstances like playing chess, God's chessboard, so to speak. Maybe then it'll be easier to see God at work and his strategy for stretching your faith. I believe this is the way he does it. There's more. Um, there's a test that's coming here, you see. Actually, two disciples take the test. Philip, he's appointed to take the test. And then Andrew volunteers, all right? Let's look at Philip first, because Philip is the guy with this app on his phone that's on his first page of apps. That's a, a, a calculator app. He pulls that up. That's the way he thinks. He may have an electronic calculator in his pocket, all right? So Philip, with electronic calculator speed, he analyzes the situation, and he gives Jesus an Excel spreadsheet to boot, all right? That's what he does. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough for them for each one just to get a little bit. So Philip, he's quick to come to the bottom line in terms of dollars and cents, and he implies, right, that they don't have any dollars or cents. But Philip's balance sheet doesn't show the infinite wealth and power of God, does it? The God who owns the earth and everything that it contains, Psalm 24.1. And it doesn't include and it doesn't identify who can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 doesn't include any of that in his spreadsheet, right? So how does Philip do on the test? Not so good. 
fact, I think he gets a fail. He gets a fail in three areas. He sees only the situation, not the solution, number one. Number two, he's more concerned about the odds against them than about those for them. And number three, he calculates for only a bare minimum. For everyone to receive a little, just a little, right? And then here's Andrew. Andrew, you know, while Philip works with a calculator, Andrew runs around in the crowd looking for groceries. I like Andrew, actually. Kind of cool. Look at verses 8 and 9, John 6, 8 and 9. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these for so many people? So Andrew, he's volunteered for the test. He scores maybe a little bit better than Philip, but he's still kind of a, he's a D minus, right? Or maybe a D, a careful optimist. He at least, at least he's seeking a solution. That's good. Finding a, a kid's lunch. Five flat barley loaves and a couple of fish, right? So it's not a lot, and nobody would say it's a lot, but Andrew's approach is better than Philip's, but he also becomes overwhelmed by the circumstances. But what good are these for so many people, right? So he's kind of a negative ninny as well, right? What's going on here? See, they're looking in all the wrong places, actually. That's what's going on. Philip sees the impossible circumstances surrounding them, and looks first at the budget. It's going to be driven by the budget. Well, there's, there's some reasonable thinking there in some cases. But look at Andrew. Andrew sees the same circumstances. And what he does, he checks the pantry. But neither of them thinks to look to the Lord. That's... That's the problem. Nobody's looking for the Lord here. Seems kind of strange, doesn't it? Because they've all seen him change water into wine. Straight up saw him do that. And there, there's a reason why there's a whole bunch of people around here. He's been doing miracles all over the place. But, you know, it's easy to pick on these guys, isn't it? Don't we respond the same way? Come on, we do. We've all seen Jesus work miracles in our lives in some way. We've seen him change, you know, the water, so to speak, in our lives in this in a new wine. We've we've seen um, we've seen him give legs to our faith. We've seen him do stuff with our lame spiritual bodies. We've seen him do all that. Yet, when faced with impossible circumstances, how soon we forget about the power of God and what He can do, right? The next time you're faced with something impossible or the impossible, I think you should not look at your bank account first. And by the way, barley bread, barley bread, did a little work checking out what barley bread is maybe in the first century. Barley bread is cheap bread. You know, this little boy is probably really poor because barley bread, I don't know, it, the best way to describe it is like, you know, normally you bake bread with something like flour, right? It's ground really fine, and so it becomes very palatable. Barley bread is like you didn't grind it. 
It's very chewy. And so the two fish, they're basically just a little side tidbit, which would make the coarse barley bread actually taste better and more palatable, right? So I think we need to look to Jesus, who's the bread of life, by the way, who can do anything exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we think or do. So here's the res- there's a response. Look at the response. And let's start with Jesus. Jesus' miracle or miraculous response to the impossible, it's recorded in verses 10 through 13. Look at verses 10 through 13. So he says, have the people sit down. There's a lot of grass in that place, so it's a good place to sit. That's all that is, right? It's a great place to sit right here. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and watch how this works. He took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread. So he, he, he gave thanks. He prayed. He distributed the bread to those who were seated. And then he did the same thing with the fish as much as they wanted. When they were all satisfied, Jesus says to his guys, right, his disciples, gather up all the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing's wasted. So they gathered them all up. They filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over uh, by the people who had eaten. So calmly, methodically, Jesus sits the people down. He divides them up into manageable groups. You can see that in Mark chapter 6. And then, because it seems sort of miracles recorded there, right? And taking the small amount of food, he, he looks to God, he prays, you know, and he multiplies the food for the crowd. That's what he does. Not only does the, the little boy's lunch give everybody a little, right? It's enough in the hands of the Lord to give everyone as much as they wanted. Verse 11. And not only that, there are 12 baskets left over. 12. Why 12? Looks like one for each of the disciples to me. Philip and Andrew probably scratching their head in amazement. While the kid, the kid's looking for something else to give to Jesus, I think. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, so that's Jesus. How about the disciples? What's their response like? After feeding the 5,000, Jesus throws a kind of a pop quiz in the middle of things. Turn to Mark chapter 6, because the miracle is recorded there too. So we're in John, Mark chapter 6, start at verse 45. Mark has a few little different things to say. And watch this. Verse 45, it just expands on this scene and gives us uh, the disciples' test results, the guys. Watch this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dispersed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he went to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. So they're in the boat, he's on the land, right? Verse 48, he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against him. Have you ever done that? That's the most frustrating thing. As the night was ending, he came to them walking on the sea for he wanted to pass by them. I don't know, just walking by just to... <laughs> I don't know, what is that? 
So great. There's a point. Watch what happens. This is the whole point is coming. When they saw him walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them, have courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Then he went up with them into the boat, and the wind ceased. Watch this. They were completely astonished. Here's the whole point right here. Watch this. Because they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You got to be kidding me. So that's the disciples' response. Now, how about the people? What about the people? Turning back to John chapter 6, you see the response of these, of the people. Verse 14 and 15. Now, when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, this is certainly the prophet who's come into the world. <laughs> okay. So they seem to get it. And then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up in the mountainside. See, they see the miracle, and the gears in their minds start to turn. Self-manipulation ways, you know, like, man, we could get more food. I don't know what they're thinking, right? All kinds of crazy, you know. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but when he does reign, it'll be on his terms, not man's terms, not Satan's terms. So he's not going to let it happen right there. It's going to go like he wants. That's people's response. Now, what about me and you? Because we got a response here. Having seen the miracle of Christ, how, how are you going to respond? What does this have to do with me and you? You see the, all these responses. How are you going to respond? I'm talking to myself as well. We're going to respond like Philip, pessimism. Like Andrew, guarded optimism. I'll be generous. Guarded optimism. Like the other disciples, they seem to be sleeping through the whole thing. Are you kidding? Or like the eager young boy, excited to give what little he had and watch the Lord and how he's going to use it to overcome the impossible. You see the lesson? We're all right there. How? What's this got to do with me and you? I don't know, tons of things. But I know, I, I, I believe I know what God's heart is here for us as a church now. This, this can apply to your, your marriage, your job, your family, your finances, all these things, but it applies to us as a church as well, okay? I'm not, I don't think it's a stretch at all because we started out here, you know, back in August, September, challenged all of our small groups to go through the Ramsey Plus solutions. We did that because we know there's some things that we should be and do as a church, as a household of faith. We, we should be expanding our footprint in, in response to what's happening around us in our community. It's what the church should do. We should be ready for that. We should build an auditorium. We need to facilitate good and continued growth in ministry for our teenagers. I mean, the part of the battlefield is the high school and middle school campus and with all our children, and we need to do a really good job right here and partnering with parents. I mean, you know, 
as well as I do. This is a great school district and amazing things are happening, but it ain't perfect. There's some crazy stuff going on in our school district too, okay? So we need to be ready and partnering with families like stood up here today and be stewards, not owners. There's some things we need to do. So I don't know exactly how to do it. I put together this thing called Dessert with a Pastor, and I gave everybody, I, that I invited most everybody. If you were, in particular, a giver, you got invited. I didn't keep anybody from coming, all right? And we had pretty good attendance at it. But what I challenged everybody to do was with these things right here. These are the things I challenged. I challenged us to commit to start giving. Some people just are not giving. There's a tons of people at church and lots of, some people aren't giving. I don't, I'm not going to preach a lesson on you have to give or anything like that. You already know we're stewards, not owners. We, God asks us, he commands us to give. It's what we should do. It's who we are. Okay, some of you need to start giving and you need to make a commitment to start giving because you're just not, all right? Some of you need to just reevaluate your giving or reoccurring giving because you just don't visit it enough and you're, you just kind of set it and don't ever go back and it doesn't ever change. And I think you should keep growing. I think you should keep growing and getting better at giving. It's part of maturity and we, you know, I, I, I've, if, just go back. I've drawn the truth out of the text regarding where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. That's on purpose. Giving is part of what God expects us to do because it's a temperature gauge for where you are with him and, and, and what you're trusting him. So, and then there's this thing called skipping and missing, all right? So, so we have um, a lot of givers in this category where you're pretty good givers, okay? But... Um, but what we see happen, happening, if you just do the math, that it, uh, every month, about 14 of our just under 200 giving units, about 14 to sometimes 20, just sort of miss a giving opportunity. They skip it every month, all right? It adds up to be about 14. It can go as high as 20. It adds up to, I'm, I'm not going to put all the math up there. I did that at the dessert with a pastor. It's real, all right, it adds up to about $100,000 a year. So if we just, all right, if we just got consistent and didn't skip, we would have an extra hundred grand a year in our budget just by being consistent. I don't think it's something that should be, it's just a logical thing. I think we all need to know. So there's some people who should check this box that says, you know what, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna be a 100% giver. And then there's some people who should just increase your giving. If you're just getting older like me, you can continue to get better at giving. And I just think that it's time for some of us to increase our giving. We are not over the top, all right? And there's a, there's a way to evaluate that. And some of you have got the margin and you should be giving more, okay? And then the last one is, um, I, I, I don't know. I've, I'm not afraid of asking this, but I don't. I don't like to necessarily, but I think this is important. Listen, you're sitting in really comfortable chairs right now. You're sitting in a beautiful multi-purpose room that's intended to be just the first phase. But we're here. Some of you were not way back um, 16 years ago when we started Vail Christian Church with 35 folks that said, okay, and they rolled up their sleeves and they started really sacrificing and giving one-time gifts so that we could get off the ground and make it happen, and that's just got to happen again. 
There's just a lot more of us. So some of you can give a one-time gift. All right, so it's just this little card. Now, I don't know exactly how to do it. I'm not super brilliant. There's a billion ways to go about it. I'm just saying, put your name on here and choose at least one of those. Some of you can choose all of them or just, you know, at least three or four of them. I don't know. I'm just stumbling around because I know that it just makes us feel uncomfortable when we start talking about this, but we've been on a journey on purpose to get to right here. And, um, and here we are. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to squeeze something out of the text that's not there. Don't get me wrong. The text is about seeing this miracle happen when it seems impossible. And so from, a, from my perspective, I'm kind of going, oh, man, I don't know. I'm a little bit like Philip. I'm a little bit like Andrew. I guess, uh, you know, I could be said to have been dense enough to just miss the whole thing like some of the disciples. I can even be like the people, the, the big part of the crowd, but I want to be like the young boy that's really eager just to give God what I can give him and watch him do amazing things. I think that's what we should do. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm just being straight. That's it. You know, there, <laughs> yeah, that's a great place to start. So here's the deal. These little cards are right here and down here. You can take one of these if you didn't get one or they're out at the kiosk. You got any questions? I mean, you can talk to Brandon Sachs. You can talk to any of our elders. Brandon's our treasurer. You can talk to uh, me. Um, I think it's a good thing. We're headed down the road as hard as I can lead us down the road to do this, Okay. So I'm going to meet with our Lloyd Construction contractor who is on our team. He's doing everything he can to be creative and help us. And uh, he said to me multiple times, such a good guy. His name is Bill Lloyd. You should pray for him. He's such a good guy. He said, look, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can not to make money off the church. I want to help you guys build a church. I can make money off a lot of stuff. Solomon Foundation, they're going to meet with us this week, and they're going to try to help us figure out, you know, how to get to our next step. You know what? This is what I think. I think $250,000 will make it happen. And uh, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Is it going to make yeah, we can get the whole stinking auditorium, not for two hundred and fifty. Okay, that's just going to be how we get it started. <laughs> no, it's going to be millions you're right. It, it, it was about $6.6 million to get here. It's a lot, isn't it? it sounds terrible. <laughs> so what do you think it's going to take to get to the next place? That's what it is. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for um, all of this uh, today. I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I know that you do, Lord, and I know that you want us to expand our footprint in this community. I know that's what you want us to do. Help us to get there, Lord. Take the little that we have and multiply it. I trust you because you're trustworthy. Help us to be consistent. Help us to commit to start giving. Lord, help us to reevaluate. Help us to give one-time gifts. Help us to increase what we're doing, Lord, because it's about you and it's not about us. Help us to be stewards and not owners. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. 
If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.bailchristian.com.